Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Um, Today's episode is a little bit out of the ordinary because today's episode is actually from a request. Um, One of my listeners uh, interacted with me on uh, Twitter and Wema asked for a little bit more on naturalism and the awakening by Kate Chopin. So as I've said in, you know, some of the earlier episodes, I do... uh, I do look forward to feedback, and if people do want to hear special episodes or special topics, um, contact me on Twitter. That's the best place to get a hold of me. Uh, And if you request a topic, I will try to get to it and get it on as quickly as possible. So to begin this one on uh, Naturalism and the Awakening by Kate Chopin, I want to go back just a little bit before Naturalism because I want to give you the sense of where this kind of falls into tradition. Uh, Now, I've talked about this some in the uh, history of English and American literature, but I kind of wanted to refresh this a little bit um, and and bring out some of the more relevant points. Uh, When when we got to the Romantic period, um, people like uh, Wordsworth and Coleridge and Shelley and Byron and Whitman and Edgar Allan Poe and um, all of these... Um, there were certain shifts that occurred. One of the shifts was a shift from dealing with kings and queens and lords and ladies down to more middle class and regular people. Uh, That was one of the shifts. Uh, The other shift in the Romantic period was sort of the, and this is something that changes a lot afterwards, is the relationship to nature. Uh, The Romantics always saw the characters in the story as tied intimately to nature. Uh, You have the character who goes off into the wilderness, climbs the mountain, um, and, you know, becomes enlightened. Uh, You have other romantic stories on the darker side of things, like Edgar Allan Poe, where the person's internal state is sad and depressed, and so the external world is gloomy and rainy and foggy. Uh, So there was sort of this connection with the Romantics between um, what was going on on the inside and what was going on in the external world. Now, a couple of things shift this. Uh, One of them is because of the excesses of the Romantics, particularly the younger British Romantics and some of the other Romantics as well. Uh, They tended, a lot of them tended to lead very Uh, short, turbulent lives. And so there was kind of a reaction against that excessiveness that comes about. Um, People wanted, uh, also there was a reaction against Napoleon and all of these ideas about revolution. Um, People started to see that the downside of that was it could be pretty destructive as well. So they start to get some reaction against it. Another thing that comes along that makes Uh, kind of a reaction against this view of nature, is Darwin's uh, theory of evolution and descent of man. Um, This is, in its time period, and whether you like Darwin, hate Darwin, agree or disagree, this is something that completely shifts the way people think about their place in the world. Um, Prior to Darwin, there was really no Uh, non-religious explanation for how humans got to be here. There were some here and there uh, among intellectual circles, among philosophers, but nothing that reached the masses. 
Darwin's uh, Natural Selection um, and Descent of Man are books that are uh, extremely uh, widely read. Uh, these are read by everyone. These are, you know, they can't print them fast enough. Uh, libraries loan them out and there's, you know, months and months waiting lists for people to get these. Uh, so this is not something that was now just circulating the idea among intellectuals. This kind of brought the idea to the people. And if we are creatures who evolved, it shifts the way we look at the universe and the world around us, as opposed to being uh, from divine creation where everything is made for us. So, of course, the external world should reflect the internal world and vice versa. Uh, we're just a creature and the world is a, is a separate thing that's more neutral. And as you get into this, uh, this is where you start to move into the naturalism, or I'm, I'm sorry, into the realism phase. Um, people want more realistic writing. Um, I also talked about the fact that in the United States, um, the Civil War was another thing that kicked us into the realism movement. Uh, Mark Twain being one of the biggest writers of realism. Uh, people started having a desire to know what people in other parts of the country, other parts of the world, what they were actually like. So instead of um, everyone speaking with the same accent, for example, you get people speaking in dialects. You get descriptions of what people look like, what they wear, uh, how they act. So you get a lot of uh, emphasis on trying to have a writing that describes things the way they are. Now, as time goes on, people start to get a little more pessimistic about things, and this is where you slide into naturalism. And naturalism and realism is kind of sometimes a tough boundary for people to understand um, because they have so many similarities. Uh, naturalism still tries to do what realism does and wants to paint realistic descriptions. Um, one of the big shifts uh, occurs in naturalism in that in realism, you still have sort of the belief in free will. Um, in naturalism, you start to run into characters that are uh, living in a, in a world that is more deterministic. Um, and so when they fight against that deterministic world, uh, the results are often that they get killed. Uh, there's a lot of naturalist short stories and novels and things like that where the um, main character ends up dead at the end of the story or at the end of the novel. Um, think about Jack London's To Build a Fire. You know, the macho outdoorsman in, Ala in the Alaskan wilderness is going to go off in the winter with his dog and meet the rest of the trappers at the next camp. He doesn't wait for them. Well, he ends up falling through some ice, getting wet, and is unable to build a fire and get warm, so he freezes to death. Um, and if you think about things like this, uh, Kate Chopin's The Awakening makes a lot more sense when you put it into that perspective. Because the character in uh, The Awakening, the main character, Edna, is someone who starts out very much wrapped up in society. Um, she's, she's very much just uh, trying to be what society wants her to be. Um, she is at a little bit of an odd place because she's the product of a different society from where she is now. Um, her upbringing, it kind of gives you a little bit of her background, was a very strict Protestant uh, upbringing, very 
reserved. <clears throat> the family that she marries into, her husband, uh, is Catholic and Creole uh, at that. So they're in Louisiana, which is a very, very different culture. Um, people's mannerisms are very different. So the reserved ways that she grew up with people acting, she's kind of thrown off at first with how uh, much more open people are. Uh, in the uh, society of her husband and where she's living now. So this is where she starts to have her awakening. Um, she she starts to kind of get an idea that there's more to life than just being uh, a wife and a mother. Um, there's, you know, things like passion. There's things like art. There's things like, you know, freedom and individuality. So she starts to slowly see these things. First, through a character that she's uh, with, uh, with her husband at the resort where they are, a young man named Robert. Um, she sort of starts to develop feelings for Robert and, and um, outside of marriage. Um, and then later through her interactions with other people who kind of introduce her to music and art and sort of a more open way of thinking and, and being. Well, she doesn't have the background for this, so she starts to kind of lose track of who she is, um, and she starts to kind of jump into it excessively um, because she doesn't really know the rules of the new society she's in very well. Um, <clears throat> the... Uh, time with Robert. Uh, Robert is one of the young men who's described as every summer he attaches himself to a different married woman and basically follows her around, talks to her, uh, hangs around with her, but he isn't consummating these relationships. Robert is kind of a character that throws back to uh, much older literature when you have the courtly romance. I don't know if you remember we talked about that. The courtly romance is the young knight who's handsome and um, sort of pledges affection for the lady and uh, you know does anything he can for the lady and follows her around and he's in love with her. But the lady is off limits, either because she's of a higher station or she's married. So Robert is very much sort of part of this idea of courtly courtly love courtly romance where he is you know has no intention of consummating these relationships and Edna doesn't quite get this um, and as she's sort of breaking away from her uh, role that she never really fit into to begin with because even in the beginning of the novel her husband describes her as um, not the type of woman who's very who's a very motherly woman um, she has children, but she doesn't um, fawn over them all the time like they're the only important thing in the universe. And so you start to not only get these contradictions in cultures and her inability to deal with it, you also start to see um, a changing in the awareness of the roles of women. Uh, this was written about 1910, um, or I'm sorry, 1989. Uh, 1999, somewhere around in that that era, end of the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, and <clears throat> women are still expected that that should be their role. They should be a housewife and a mother, and they should be completely fulfilled in that role, 
and not want anything outside of that. And so this breaking into this different culture that seems to be much more free kind of gets her um, out of that. And this is similar to what you see in a lot of writings that start um, coming out because you have you start to have a rise in the women's movement, um, the rise in, you know, trying to get women the right to vote and get women um, the right to an education beyond just the education to be a wife. And this is sort of what she's expected to have. She's supposed to be, you know, educated in how to be a good wife. The music and other things like that are just to make her a um, a good ornament uh, for her husband at parties. So <clears throat> you have a lot of different themes that are kind of coming together in this. And you have a lot of descriptions that are, you know, from the realism and naturalism perspective that are very much uh, the way uh, society would have viewed that a husband should look towards his wife. Um, when she's out at the beach and she's gotten a lot of sun, it talks about her husband kind of looking at her almost like she's a piece of property who's been damaged. Um, you know, you have to remember that this is pretty much part of the culture of the Victorian period and the Edwardian period uh, slightly after that is that uh, women were very much seen as the property of their husband. Uh, women were also in this time period, if you read other uh, books, um, short stories, things like that, uh, women were viewed um, almost as being larger children. Um, they were they were viewed much the same way children were. And if you you know read through the book in the beginning, you'll see. You know, he's bringing her uh, sweets from when he goes on his business trips and he, you know, um, gives her money and mentions the fact that, you know, she loves money as much as uh, the next woman, uh, implying that, you know, this is this is all women should be interested in is money and sweets and kind of being pampered and spoiled like a child. Uh, and there's sort of the attitude that the husband is the husband slash father of his wife. Um, she's the oldest of the children, um, but the culture kind of still views it as she's still a child and the male is the adult in the relationship. So you do have a lot of these challenges, and this is one of the things that kind of has the awakening teetering between being a naturalist book and actually, you know, kind of leaning into being a modernist and even a postmodernist book uh, at times. Um, so the book is very much ahead of its time in a lot of ways, in, in the you know, way it portrays a woman as having these desires outside of just being a wife and mother, um, <clears throat> and in the way that it presents this. It kind of you know, prefigures some of the modernist writers that will come after. Uh, it also has very much, though, naturalism tendencies in it. Uh, in a more modernist book, the wife would have this rebellion, go off, have an affair, uh, start a new life, and uh, be able to make something for herself, um, be able to get a bit of freedom. Well, under naturalism, there's always this sense that since nature and the outside world is hostile to humans, if you leave society, if you leave the group, if you leave the social order, 
there tends to be one penalty for that over and over again. And the penalty is death. Uh, this is why a lot of the characters in these naturalist novels end up dead because they've violated the rules of civilization. They've violated the rules of uh, everybody sticking together and working for the same things. And so there's a swift punishment that generally comes from this. And with Edna's um, death, her death is a suicide. So that kind of complicates it a little bit. It makes it a naturalist novel, but then again, not completely. This is why it sort of edges towards modernism and postmodernism. Because if it were strictly a naturalist novel, um, her death would have been out of her control. It would have been something she had no say-so in, like the the main character in To Build a Fire who freezes to death. He doesn't choose to freeze to death. Uh, Edna actually chooses to go out into the water and drown. <clears throat> um, this is kind of her saying, I know that I'll never be able to have the life and fulfillment I want as a woman, so there's really no place in this world and this society for me. And so she kind of goes off into that. Now, there's been a lot discussed about this as sort of kind of a, a birth in reverse, um, where she uh, has the, her lifespan reversed. Uh, this is another way people have looked at it from a naturalist perspective. At the beginning of the story, she is a mature, uh, responsible uh, housewife and mother. And by the end of it, she's kind of abandoned everything, stripped off all of her clothes, uh, the same way she was born into the world, and then goes off into the water. You know, sort of a symbol of going back into the womb. So there have been many ways that this has been looked at as a naturalist uh uh, writing. It's also been looked at as a feminist writing. It's also been looked at as something that kind of edges towards uh, modernism and postmodernism. Um, <clears throat> okay, I'm going to break off for there. I hope that all of you are doing well. I hope all of you are staying safe and have a good night.